Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the minds, the word of your prophets, your apostles, those who spoke with you and knew your son. We'd ask that you would bless our time listening to them. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you could probably tell from the sermon notes, you, we are in Isaiah 61. Um, Isaiah was sort of on my mind because um, my father, uh, who the various offspring of my father are doing helpful things for. I was over there yesterday in the morning getting him up and, and he had a wedding to go to. Matt Becker and Becca Rust got married yesterday and he was going to that wedding and his idea of a wedding gift was to make Evan make them a poster. So why don't you go do this for me and I will give it to them as if it were from me. It was Isaiah 58, a section of Isaiah 58 and, and so I went home and did this layout for Dad to give them uh, for their wedding. Um, and so I was thinking about Isaiah. I was looking at Isaiah 58. I had preached out of Isaiah 58 at some point in, in a while, but I could have done it. You know, I could have wrenched a, a sermon out of it. Um, and uh, I think I was just scrolling through that region of Isaiah uh, in, the, uh, in the library, cup of coffee this morning. And uh, I looked at Isaiah 61. I said, that sounds strangely familiar. Well, you said, well, I've been your pastor. It ought to be, you know, familiar. Well, it was really familiar. You know why it was familiar? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. You know why? Okay, in case you weren't here, last Sunday, Luke 4, Jesus quotes this portion one week ago. It should have jumped out at me. I should have thought of it in the first place. I just stumbled across it. There it was saying, you know, maybe since Christ in the sermon last week out of Luke 4 quoted this, and we didn't spend a lot of time on his declaration out of Isaiah when he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Maybe we ought to look at that. Maybe we ought to look at the whole chapter. I have the Luke portion here on the side, just the quote out of Isaiah 61. Now, some people are, their view of inspiration is verbal, plenary, the very word choice, the very way it's handled is absolutely meaningful. And this is one of those passages where it's hard to do that because the Lord is quoting out of the Septuagint of this passage because you'll see the difference. Um, because the Lord has, an, uh, looking at the uh, Hebrew text on the, on, the, uh, on the right, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. 
And Christ says, good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, not even in Christ's quote. <laughs> you say, hold it, you mean Jesus didn't... He left the brokenhearted out of his quote. He sent me to proclaim release to the captive, says um, Christ. And Isaiah, in the Hebrew text, says, proclaim liberty to the captives. And then a weird one, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound in the Hebrew, and it's in Christ's quote, recovering of sight to the blind. Which follows the Septuagint. I have the Septuagint right there below the quote. But even out of the Septuagint, Christ drops that one phrase, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So I wouldn't make importance out of the quotations of things. I don't think that the Lord, I mean, the Septuagint isn't a wonderful translation. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And certain parts of the Septuagint are great answers to difficult questions. The apostles used it a lot. It was the primary translations, like the NIV of the period. Everybody used it. It was Greek. They spoke Greek. It's got some problems, got some shortcomings. The Hebrew text is better in many ways. But we want to look at what he does say, what he does claim. Not try to make a sermon out of what he didn't mention, or the order of things. Ever get people talking about the, the Beatitudes in terms of what order they come in? But then you go to Luke and it's a different order. You don't want to make too much of, you might say, secondary levels of, of communication. Because they might not have. They might have just been saying, you know, this is the best way to say this. Let's use the Septuagint here. Let's use it there. Let's use the, that which they would hear, they would understand. So what is, I mean, the Lord said in Luke 4, that this scripture today has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, he didn't say that, therefore, all these things were completely com completed in the world. But the Spirit of the Lord God being upon him, the anointing of Christ to do this, to be this. But you have to also remember that things that in this passage, we're going, this is the whole chapter of Isaiah 61, 11 verses. Um, There's a temptation, if you have any kind of temptation to the health and wealth direction, you know, uh, God wants you to be great, powerful, famous people with a lot of money. I don't think there's any problem with a lot of money. I would sure like a lot of money. That's why I'm asking for scuttage on my... Uh, you, I know you're not going to look it up. Okay, uh, homage is what it sounds like. Oh, Rachel looked it up. I have a good daughter-in-law. <laughs> you can be in charge of the kettle that will collect the scuttage. <laughs> she will sit there and rebuke you for not contributing scuttage. Basically, uh, homage, uh, you know, is homage. Uh, the deferential tug of the forelock and saying, yes, my lord. Um, 
uh, recognizing my dignity as a bishop. In the usual nonsense. Night service is where you swear to consider all my enemies yours and you will go to battle and die for me. Okay, that's, that's not much to ask. What is my birthday? Come on. And if you don't want to die for me and my causes, you think I might be silly, scuttage is how you get out of it. You pay me money to get out of night service. So it's, it's, it's a very nice system. If I feel like you're traitorous, James, Mr. Banks, in some sort of way, I feel that you might not be as loyal to my cause as perhaps is required, you can pay me enough money that I will forgive. How did I get off on that? <laughs> something to do with, oh yeah, the health and wealth thing. I was saying I like money. Well, I hope you like money too. It says in the scriptures, money answers everything. Uh, Jesus warns us to be more shrewd in our dealings with money than the sons of this world. But a passage like this, which has, is, is, a, is a promise, the whole thing is the promise of God's answer, providing an abundant life to those this comes to. The good tidings to the afflicted, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, restoring sight to the blind, if we take the Lord's rendering of it, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? What are the, what are the tidings about? What, are the, what is the liberty regarding? What is the sight issue? You know, we know Christ actually in physical life on earth went through his ministry giving sight to the blind. But did he set every captive free? Did he get everybody out of jail? Did he get everybody out of slavery? What are the good tidings? Is it just saying nice things to everybody? Good tidings, you know. Merry Christmas. Be warmed and filled. Happy birthday. What are they? All those are good tidings. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, primarily, that day of vengeance of our God, people say, there's, it's interesting that Christ stopped his quote at the proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. I, the whole passage is, is in regard to this first part. I don't think that he, he stops because he needs to stop someplace. But the day of vengeance of our God is all part of what's going on in our Christ. Our Christ is bringing, fulfilling these things for you. And fulfilling them in a way that brings them to you in an abundant, mentally adjusting way. Because look what happens. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, and to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Now, most of us, most of us are, oh, I've mentioned this before, you have a view of the nature of pleasures in this life and you could only, you would be happy, the reason we like money is because money can buy you happiness, right? Uh, you, you, 
could buy a jet ski with it, and you're happy now. We have a joke in our family whenever I get something for the wife. I look at her and I say, well, are you happy now? And she says, yes, I am, for the next five minutes. Because what happens in this world, this fallen, futile world? What you bought breaks. You see something else that is really cool that you don't have. We think that garlands, gladness, and praise, the comfort to the morning. What do you do when somebody you know is kind of sad? You cheer them up, right? Well, you cheer them up, this is the attempt, by having things that favor their view of their world. That fa put favors in their path. If they're the kind of person that likes, oh, you've heard that bit about love languages. You might actually like it. What do you think Evan thinks of love languages? <laughs> Just the very name, love languages. I want to put a brick through something, but that's my love language. You're kind of looking for the love language of this downcast friend, and so they like little gifts. And so you go to the accessory store, because you're a girl, and you buy a gift, you put it in a what? A sack with tissue. I don't know what the tissue does, but I think it makes it more festive. And you write a nice little card, thinking of you. And so your downcast friend, who likes acts of whatever that is, presence, is cheered up because someone loves them. They, they measure the cheering up in terms of the world the way they want it. Do you think the Lord is fulfilling that when he comes? He would fulfill, in your hearing, good tidings. Is it that you're going to have a birthday party every day? Is one of these going to be handed out from everyone to everyone every day this next year? Everyone gets a new birthday, fresh birthdays, more presents? Wouldn't that be great? Everybody treated you nice. Nobody thought that you couldn't sing. Whatever the, whatever the insults of this present world are, good tidings. Are the good tidings your good tidings? Is the garland, the gladness, and the praise yours? It's given to you, but is it the standard cheer you up? Because when we want to get cheered up, We have a petulant little desire to stamp our foot and go, I want it. What's the line, Al? It's the, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. That's what would cheer us up. More bacon. But the fulfillment of this gift, the good that this is that is coming to us in the Christ is a good that is coming to us in the Christ. Somehow I've got to put not just a sense of a garland being put around me and mourning being ended and faintness of spirit being stopped, but I've got to include Jesus in this somehow because he is the one that stood in the synagogue in Capernaum and said that. That he's the fulfillment. It's not cheering you up the way you like to be cheered up. The di difficulty is, I hear here on the side, it says, because you want a popsicle. 
What did mother say to the little bratty kid that she hasn't spanked near enough? Well, what would you like? I want a popsicle. And so she buys one popsicle. Because that would cheer them up. But God is up to something else. God is up to a fulfillment in the Christ. He is that which is the good news. I need to pull him into this picture of cheering me up, making my life better. Me and Jesus are making this situation better. My life's going to be better because of Jesus having come to earth. I have it bolded here at the end of verse 3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Christ is not here to cheer you up with the popsicle. More money in your life, a better 401k, whatever you think, a better vacation that you really felt you needed. He's not bringing abundance like that. You may have abundance like that. God bless you if you do. Those are great things. They're great gifts of God. But he's using them as these sorts of party changes, party words, garland in your hair. We don't come to church with garlands, I hope. Uh, we're enough hippies here already, so I don't want people seeing us from other churches walking in with special bay leaves wreathed in our hair. It's a metaphor. God is planting something in this good news that can be called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. What does that communicate to you? Not wheat of righteousness. Not, there's all sorts of fruit. We usually think of the sower and the seed. We usually think of corn and, and wheat and stuff like that being grown in the field of God. God here is growing oaks. Good, I imagine even in Palestine, good English oaks. <laughs> A little bit sturdier in regard to the righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Because what happens with the, us being wanting, to, wanting to be cheered up in our life? Jesus Christ has not come so that you could be cheered up the way you like to be cheered up. Because you're not in charge of stuff. He is here to change your life to an abundant situation where you are cheered up. Where you have a festive thing descending on you. A great moment of praise because of his good tidings, his liberty, the sight he gave you. The year, I'm facing my birthday, you all faced your birthday, and another year kicked in. Sometimes you think of it in January, January 1, New Year, you make resolutions. Each year for the believers since the Lord fulfilled this has been the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. How does the favor feel to you? How do you feel the favor should come to you? This is one of the temptations of the health and wealth movement is they don't think it's really been accomplished until they are actually wealthy. The glorification of God through the righteousness of his planting
And it's that they may be called. Not the richest church in town, because we're not. Are you as believers being seen by the Gentiles, by the world? That's a representation of what it is to be a Christian. The people that know me, it's the oaks of righteousness. Uh, who was talking? Oh, Roger Boothman. You know, some of you know Roger. He was over yesterday and after the farmer's market. and He was talking about uh, the new associate pastor's testimony at Evangelical Free Church. And the guy had been a, a bad person. And he met a co-worker that was a Christian who was not sleeping with her fiancé. And he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. The guy, the fiancé, was working in, I guess, this guy's from Scotland. And we give a preferential pause of reverence. I don't know if they're going to vote for independence. I don't care. Because of Scotland. Um, he actually took a trip to meet this guy out in the islands north of Scotland and uh, asked him the question, complete stranger, how, how come you not sleep with your girlfriend? He says, I'm a Christian. We don't do that. And this non believer looked at him and said, I want to have what you have. Well, he's the new associate pastor at E-Free, I think. And he has a Scottish accent, and I do not. So, <laughs> I know, dwindling of the, of the ministry, but I can fake it. They will be called oaks of righteousness. That's the richness that you've been given in Christ. That's the power. His good tidings, what was it? The good news, that's what he calls it in, in Luke. Good news to the poor. Because it doesn't matter with the actual physical poor or the poor in spirit. It doesn't really matter. The good news of Christ is the same good news. Forgiveness of sins and life eternal due to his death, burial, and resurrection. Liberty. What's, what have you been given in Christ? Sometimes when we remember, we stop and list it like it has been listed here. Good tidings, liberty, sight. What have I seen? You've seen so much as a Christian. What have you seen in his word? Because this is all I've been thinking about abundance a lot lately. Not because, again, you know, I'm not a health and wealth guy. Because I liked abundance. You know, I've always had that quote, waste is key to affluence. Because I like waste. I like having stuff that's got no point and no purpose. It's not a resource that I could use for anything. One of the, the key one of the elements of my Eventine rules for the very calm life, that your house should have many superfluous rooms. You should have rooms that you don't need for anything. The wife can't even put a sewing room in there because she's already got one. Superfluous, pointless. It's not a resource, it's an empty room. Because that's abundance. And the Lord has given us abundance 
in his world, in his cheer you up model of doing things. Because cheering you up it's really got two problems when you're, when you're kind of a rotten person and all your friends need to cheer you up because you're a rotten person. We all know you're rotten, so we lie to you and say, you know, really, no, you're handsome, really. Oh, I feel better now because people worship me. The Christian realizes we're not wonderful people. The Lord is wonderful, and he has given you wonderfulness. Made you righteous by an act of grace. And his grace to you in, 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 in keeping his commands. You are made better. You're, you're rejoicing because you actually, your friends don't lie to you. The cheer you up stuff is when your friends lie to you, give you a party you don't deserve just so you'll cheer up and quit being so difficult to be around. Jesus says, hey, I'm just going to make you a wonderful person. I'm gonna and you're going to get up in the morning knowing the Lord made you a wonderful person. Aliens. Oh, excuse me, verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. God is walking into your life at the time of Christ when he said, today this has been fulfilled. And since then, the preaching of Jesus Christ has brought about that fulfillment in each and every person. What are the things that we're gaining in this? And verse 4 seems to suggest that stuff that got ruined, he builds up. Graham's reading this morning out of Mark. Was it Mark? Yeah. Oh yeah, here I'm looking at it, right here. What does he say at the end? People who have given up these things, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Christ has brought us the path to actual life, the path to actual success, actual retirement. You might have it all worked out in your head. Well, if I do 30 years working for the man and put all this money away, that's fine if we do all that stuff. But we also spend a lot of our life ruining things, destroying the civilizations of our homes. He's not talking about Christians need to go out there and to archaeological digs and rebuild the city of Nineveh because they are ancient ruins. Not telling us to do so. This is a metaphor. God is there and He rebuilds the things that have been torn down. He rebuilds families, marriages, homes. Whether they're destroyed by another or destroyed by you, you have been given in the abundance of God the power to build it. Doesn't matter how many generations have gone on. That last line, the devastations of many generations. There are a lot of people who talk about generational Christianity, and we don't believe in genetic or passing along of the covenant or the promise, at least I don't. 
still always the gospel for the sinner. But I've met people who, you know, I had a Christian upbringing, godly parents raised us in the light, they functioned in the light. When they didn't, they confessed it. It's a good example. And I've men, known people who've lived with us who bemoaned the fact that they grew up in non-Christian circumstances or less than ideal. It doesn't matter. The devastations of many generations might be laid at your doorstep. God repairs. He builds up. He raises up. Doesn't matter what devils. You get to be the first Christian in the line. And he's got the things that make those things work. And it isn't money, and it isn't a birthday party, and it's not a popsicle. It's not cheering you up because things went bad. The Lord has given you abundance of good things and insight. And you're finding yourself perhaps amazed at what your insight has done for you and done for your family. Aliens, not the ones from space here, aliens shall, oh, of course, probably on the History Channel. They, you ever seen the History Channel? They seem to think that everything is aliens. That's history nowadays. Aliens shall stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. Men shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Everybody else is about their business. Maybe even working in your life. I have to go to the mall. I have to go to Walmart. I was out at Walmart with the missus yesterday. Thanking God for Walmart. But hoping not to be seen. <laughs> Aliens and foreigners, Gentiles are all around us, providing all the things. Their pursuits are after those things. You want to be the kind of person that men speak of, you will be called, they will speak of you as priests and ministers of God. God is there to give you an abundant rehabilitation of a life destroyed. He is there to give you a reputation as someone who walks with God. Someone who mediates God to man. That's what priests do. You're all priests. We're not Roman Catholics here. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You shall be called priests. You eat the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. You're going to, you're going to essentially be in a state of mind that understands, even if you've got cancer, you're broke. What else could go wrong? Cancer, broke, I mean, um, you're not handsome. Some of us aren't. I don't know if you noticed, I was the best looking baby ever born. I am not the best looking adult ever born. But the babies, I'll take you on. Bring your lousy baby shot. And, and compare it. Well, too bad for you. But not all of us can be good-looking adults. What if that happened to you? 
You get plastic surgery or the Lord. One's cheaper. We have an abundance. We stand our lives because God is rebuilding in us the civilization he wants in you, in your family, in your childbearing, in your marriage. His good tidings, his insight, his liberty, that's what's going on. The year of the Lord is remaking your soul so that you function with cancer, homely, without a job, like a God among men. Abundantly. Instead of your shame, you shall have a double portion. Instead of dishonor, you shall rejoice in your lot. Therefore, in your land, you shall possess a double portion. Yours shall be everlasting joy. Christ fulfilled this that day in Capernaum. He is the anointed one of God whose message provides this. And you've got to look at the message of Jesus Christ in the Gospels and say to yourself, how are these metaphors filled out for Christians? You might not agree with me on how I describe some of these things. It might seem to you too physically rewarding. They might be being promised really earthly riches here. Maybe. But when I go back to seeing Christ providing it in Capernaum by his fulfillment of it, he's making a claim about his ministry and his life. And what's that going to do to you? You will be given a double portion. Are you able to accept having more grace? I was talking to someone about this the other day. We were talking about abundance on the front porch. And, and I said, you know, you can't even give this stuff away. He said, well, what about, you know, telling people about Jesus? Well, yeah, but you didn't give it away, did you? You still have it. What if you had to, in order to give the salvation to someone, you had to give a portion of your own away? I mean, really, if I give someone five bucks, I have five bucks less. If I give someone Jesus Christ, I have nothing less. Nothing. I have to get used to abundance. More than I can ask or think, says the scriptures. Joy ineffable. Stuff you can't even wrap your head around or words you can't put to it. A double portion of popsicles. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God wants to settle things, and he wants to settle things the right way, that the right people get the right thing. In his mind, the person that has pursued him for those good tidings, the afflicted, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, they are the beneficiaries, and he wants to work justice. He wants to stop evil from being evil. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. Do people describe you as the most righteous person they know? A real Christian. You know, you know how people their complaints about, you know, I was going to church and a Christian day. We want you to all be real Christians to the people you know. That he could never say, oh, I think that church is filled with hypocrites. 
all who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. And again, not because you're driving a Lexus. I drive a Hyundai. And that's a nice car. I like a Hyundai. I recommend them. But it's not because the rewards of life, Leslie and I are still broke hippies. The shorter hair, we're still broke hippies. But God's given us all, each of himself, in himself, the kind of abundance that once you spot it going by, once you spot it rebuilding in your life what is lost, you know where to go every moment, no matter what the physical state of things, no matter how hard it is to pay the bills. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As into the world. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, that makes it kind of obvious that this is all this money stuff or reward stuff or popsicles are, are a metaphor. It says, the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness are as the party garland. When I said garland earlier, oil of gladness. We don't have at the door, you know, some canola oil of gladness. You pour it on because as oil in the beard of Aaron, so when brothers dwell in harmony. It's a metaphor. But here it's obvious that it is. It's not the wealth, it's not the party. It's as a wealth and as a party. Because sometimes that's the only way we can understand it. But that's what we have in Christ. It is the wealth that Christ brought of himself. The forgiveness, the knowing, just the good news of it has to do with salvation, has to do with righteousness. It's fulfilled in him. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. This is the fruit of it. Remember, oaks of righteousness that the Lord has planted. It's not always wheat. Sometimes it's strong, it's great, it's powerful, it's big. But it's big and powerful, growing what the Lord planted in it. Not big and powerful for big and power's sake. Big and powerful because you want to be big and powerful. Not wealthy because you like wealth. God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. We wondered last week why Jesus Christ picked that fight right after he read this passage. And he starts talking about the Gentiles and that were given greater treatment than the Jews in the Old Testament, and the Jews ended up trying to kill Christ at the end of the passage. Um, in this passage, is this representation of what this wealth being done through Christ, what effect it has on the nations. 
the aliens and foreigners are going to be standing around doing things right next to you and recognizing that you are priests of the Most High, ministers of God. Your life will be on display, righteousness and praise, before all the nations. The word there for nations is Gentiles, before all the Gentiles. And Christ may have been jumping ahead in the passage of Isaiah 61 when he brings up God's testimony to what benefit the Gentiles were going to get. The Jews were a little, a little dim on that. Find out the good that you've been given in Christ. Find out what he fulfilled in himself. That's what his presence in your life, does he need to hand you a popsicle? Or what has he handed you? And in that, recognize the abundance of that and get cool with abundance of that sort of thing. Rejoicing, salvation, praise, building things up, a lot of wonderful stuff. I recommend Christianity to you all. Let's thank God. Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for the day, for the company of the saints, for your son, his fulfillment of these great things where we can stand regardless of our circumstances and be wealthy. Give us an apprehension of that wealth. In your son's name we pray. Amen.